coming up on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. Just to sum up the question of what is integration, well, it's that period right after a medicine experience where you stay in maybe solitude or you stay in an integration uh, community where you continue to introspect and contemplate what came up for you. And then you'll start to process what were those insights that you have in terms of maybe what changes you need to make and then how does that translate into real life? So if I have an insight, what does that mean for me? What kind of change, what kind of commitment, what kind of new habits or rituals will I need to bring into my life to create lasting changes? So on the one hand, integration is introspection. On the other hand, it is implementation. And I would go as far to say it's cultivation. Integration becomes cultivation, which becomes transformation. Welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, a weekly conversation series with leaders in psychedelic culture, designed for therapists, healers, retreat leaders, and passionate enthusiasts, presented by Maya and hosted by me, Eamon Armstrong. Welcome back to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. This is your host, Eamon Armstrong. Wise psychonauts have long known that the real work of psychedelic healing is in the post-experience integration. And there's no one more renowned in this field than today's guest, Deanne Adamson, founder of Being True to You. We spend the first third of our conversation discussing preparation for psychedelic healing, including how to anchor an experience as it happens. We talk about integration as a long road of cultivation and explore when to invite more medicine work as part of that process. Deanne describes her technique of using an integration wheel for tracking outcomes. Finally, we talk about integration coaching itself and the particular value of the exhaustive training provided by the Being True to You program. Deanne is the founder of Being True to You, a certification program and network that provides one-on-one coaching to help people integrate transformational experiences. She developed the transformational recovery model based on her extensive work supporting families through Ibogaine and helping to facilitate the natural recovery process. She has a master's in mental health counseling, and her academic background is based in spiritual psychology. Integration leads to cultivation, which leads to transformation. Today on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, Deanne shows us how to support this powerful healing process. And just a note before we start, if you are a psychedelic practitioner, please consider taking 10 minutes to complete the Maya Psychedelic Practitioner Survey. And you can get to that at mayahealth.com slash research slash surveys. By gaining insight into psychedelic therapy practices, Maya aims to shed light on the amazing work that's happening in this space. We believe that the world of psychedelic medicine needs more data to develop best practices and help practitioners provide safe and effective services at scale. By contributing to this survey, you can also sign up to be amongst the first to gain access to the Maya platform, designed specifically for psychedelic practitioners. And now, here's Deanne Adamson. Okay, cool. Well, let's get started, Eamon, and thanks so much for having me on. I am so happy to have you on and so happy to speak to you. Your name comes up a lot in these circles. I was just speaking to Jesse Gold of Heroic Hearts 
And and I know that he works with the Being True to You Network. Obviously, Maria Chavez, who's been on this podcast, introduced us. She's someone that I admire a great deal, and she admires you a great deal. So you're definitely someone that people are looking to in this space for many things. And one of the main ones is this idea of psychedelic integration. So I'm really excited to talk about that with you today. Awesome, Eamon. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for reaching out to me. We have been doing this work for about 10 years, and we certainly have a lot of information to share, and I'm happy to do so. Wonderful. And I imagine that we'll have some resources after our conversation because it's there's a lot of material to cover, and I think there'll be a lot of people listening who want to go deeper. So we'll end the, we'll end the podcast with a little check-in about some resources for people to go deeper. Wonderful. Sounds good. So... Let's just start with you, because it's wonderful to kind of locate our our audience with who you are and how you came to be so passionate about the integration component of psychedelic medicine, and indeed the integration component of probably many kinds of peak and transformational experiences. So just to begin, when did you first understand that a powerful experience required a period of integration to bring it into one's life. Was that something that came out of your own life or came out of your practice? When was this something where you're like, this needs focus and attention? I learned about the importance of integration from the very beginning, to be honest, because we were helping people through the ibogaine process who were using ibogaine as an addiction treatment for opiate addiction mainly, the results were just incredibly staggering. Within 24 hours, people were coming out of opiate addiction with pretty much no withdrawals and sometimes no cravings and a week later relapsing. (laughs) So, I mean, it was just such a beautiful experience, but yet I saw there was just no support on the other end. And honestly, as soon as I met these Ibogaine treatment doctors, they told me from the get-go, they said, look, we have a really powerful treatment. It is able to detox people basically overnight. We have a seven-day program where we are bringing them out of opiate addiction, but there is nothing for them afterward. And when they return home to their counselors and 12-step meetings, they don't understand this process. And so for a lot of people, they're just getting ostracized or pushed back into an old model that's not working for them. So I knew from the very beginning that integration was important. What I didn't realize right away was the importance of preparation. That took, you know, maybe a couple more weeks to really understand that integration starts before the experience. But as far as integrating these powerful experiences, when it comes to psychedelics, you're going to see a massive shift in people's mood and perspectives. And then you're going to see a decline on the other side, whether that decline is a few days later or whether it's a few weeks later or a few months later. But it is pretty easy to tell from the get-go from a professional level. I think from our own experiences doing psychedelics, for a lot of us, it took a lot longer, right? I started using psychedelics as a teenager and in my 20s. And for those experiences, the notion of integration uh, wasn't there. So it took working with other people and seeing from a third-party perspective the importance of integration. 
I've personally um, known that integration is a key component to psychedelic healing for a long time. And I've thought about integration in terms of morning rituals, yoga, meditation, different practices. For myself, if I am emerging from the kind of oceanic oneness of a psychedelic experience, I have a period of time when I am absolutely sure that everything in my life will change. I'm so clear on what needs to change. I'm so clear on how I will do it. This is especially true for me with ayahuasca work. Like at the very tail end of an ayahuasca experience, everything feels abundantly clear to me. And yet it starts to denigrate so quickly. And a day later, I'm not quite clear on what I want to do. And when the glow period kind of ends, I'm back to the same person that I was before I went into the experience in many ways. And I find the new habits that I had in mind so difficult. I I have the same barriers to them that I thought had been completely obliterated. And so we're going to be talking a lot about the perspective of practitioners. But just on a personal note, I'd just like to start with this question of, If you are yourself having a psychedelic experience, you're feeling the clarity and the oceanic oneness, is there a way that in that exact moment of transition, you can set the groundwork for your integration process? When you're you're in that space, is there a way to capture like the most of those, people call them downloads or um, realizations? Is there a way to optimize that moment of transition out of a psychedelic experience? Yeah, I suppose it would be anchoring yourself in the experience by using mindfulness and awareness to identify what am I actually feeling right now. I think it's important to be present in the experience and not to overthink it, but at the same time, you can actually pinpoint that clarity that you're having. So maybe it's an insight that you're having. What is that insight? Is it a narrative that you're rewriting? Is it a belief system that you're seeing through? Put it into words. If it's a feeling, if it's an experience, same thing. You can anchor into that feeling inside of your heart. Maybe it is a word that you could put on that experience, or maybe it is a feeling you've had before that you could associate it with. It's like, wow, I felt like this at one time when I was eight years old, when I was with my grandparents. I felt so free and so loved and and just so nourished and safe in my body. That's how I feel right now. So you could anchor it to a past memory that you had to help you remember because it's more of a feeling than it is a cognitive experience. Or maybe it's a interpersonal experience that you're feeling, a a sense of connection with other people, or maybe it's a spiritual experience. But yes, absolutely. I think it would come down to mindfulness in that moment and just using one word, one experience, one particular feeling and choosing to remember it so that you could then bring it up later after that experience. This is what we do with navigation training is helping a person to be so present in their mind and body, spirit, in their whole energy field so that whatever it is that you're feeling, you can remember it. So I think it is in part a a choice to remember these things. And then you can, after the experience, you can journal it out, write it out, share with other people to help hold the gold, so to speak. Mm, I love that. I'm. I really like the idea of anchoring an experience into something that maybe a, a memory or a word or something, so that you can, so that you have sort of a passageway back to it. I think that's a great, great invitation. You spoke of learning about the importance of preparation a little later in the experience of the work that you were doing, and I'm curious what it was that you, what was the aha moment that integration starts with preparation for you? 
Well, I realized preparation was important when I noticed the drastic difference between those who began their transformational work before the experience and those who checked into Ibogaine treatment right after they heard about it. I noticed the same thing with those who underwent a psychedelic journey on a whim without preparation and those who spent time laying a foundation for their healing and growth and ensuring proper set and setting beforehand. Those who prepared themselves for a journey entered their experience with clearer intentions and less expectations. They seem to understand that every entheogenic experience is unique and that you never know what you're going to face or what you're going to go through. But either way, insights, meaning, and gifts can be taken from the experience. And also, it seemed that people realized that the experience continues to unfold long afterwards. Those who prepared came in with their guards more down, they were more open and receptive to doing their work, ready to engage with the fear, pain, and discomfort, and ready to see the hard truths, and ready to look within. And the retreat and treatment staff, too, would report that individuals were easier to talk to and work with when they had started the coaching process before their arrival. Additionally, since I started this process working with people through heavy drug addiction, we noticed that the addictive mindset often became immediately active for people following Ibogaine, convincing them that the experience will wear off, the cravings and withdrawals will return, and that the pain would become too much to bear, so they should just give up now. But with those who were calling us in advance for support, they were ready for these voices to arise, so they had developed resilience to it. This is when I started to realize that integration begins before the treatment or psychedelic experience. It is hard to stop people in their process following a journey to educate them on the importance of integration and explain what that means. At this point, people had already made up their minds what the experience provided or didn't provide to them, and they were set on their own next steps, which usually meant returning to life as usual. So we set up agreements with Ibogaine clinics and eventually other entheogenic centers as well to provide a minimum of three preparation sessions leading up to the experience, as well as created a preparation and integration workbook to help people lay the foundation for change, recovery, and transformation beforehand. And ever since, we have been educating and advocating for preparation and integration to help individuals, families, and even therapeutic teams to get the most out of these experiences. And adequate preparation also greatly reduces risks and supports a safer passage through each journey. Does that include initiating any practices that may be part of integration? I mean, I know we're talking about working with people who are coming off of opiates through this process, so perhaps that might not anchor as well. But if maybe if you're working with another client, would it be like start at, inviting them to start a meditation practice before a psychedelic experience, or inviting them to you know begin journaling in advance of it? Are there are there activities or actions that you might have them do before a psychedelic experience? Yeah, I mean, I would think of that more as navigation training. I mean, starting with the preparation. With preparation, I would say, just to speak to that really quickly first, I would say you want to get well-informed, first of all. So before a person is even doing activities, getting well-informed about psychedelic therapies, about altered states, doing your due diligence around 
medicine work, around facilitators, around different centers, just understanding transformational work in general. Because if you're diving right into the activities without knowing why it's important, it might not be as powerful. So I would start with the preparation phase, helping clients to get well informed about what are you stepping into? Why are people using psychedelic therapies? What can become of a psychedelic therapy? And what is my responsibility as the individual stepping into this experience to get the most out of it. So after you help a client to become well-informed, then you can start laying that groundwork and, and helping a client to discern what are my intentions or my goals? What areas within myself and within my life do I want to work on? What particular changes would I like to make? And what are my first commitments? Because again, if we're going to engage in activities, we want them to be anchored in some kind of intention. It's like when you're in school and you have a lot of homework and you don't understand why you're having homework. You're just like, I don't understand why I have all this busy work. So it's going to be a lot more productive if a, if a person can anchor into why I'm doing this, why this is important to me, what kind of changes I want to make. And then we can start to lay the groundwork with those first commitments. My commitment to myself is to be more loving with myself, is to start to introspect into my own human experience. What is going on with me and what is it that might be blocking me or holding me back? And then a person can start to begin that personal work after they understand what is the personal work, because that's a big limitation I see in working with people is that tendency to outsource our healing and our desire changes to someone else or to something else. And a lot of times people are going to psychedelic medicines for the same thing. They're wanting to find something to fix them. So once we understand, okay, this is what the transformational process is. Here's what my responsibilities in this are. Now I can begin the work. Now I can start to identify what are particular activities that match my style, my interests, my intentions, and my goals. And then you can draw from activities from that point. I think it's important that the activities resonate with the individual. You have to know a little bit about them, who they are, what their beliefs are, what their faith is, what their values are. Also, what is accessible to them? What can they afford? Because there is a lot of activities out there. There's different technologies, but you want to find something that's fitting. So I think that matching process is really important. Now to your question around what kinds of activities can a person do? I mean, some of the most productive activities are going to be meditative activities. That can be a little challenging for a person who's just stepping into transformational work. So you can find activities that will help naturally ease them into the meditative state. So for instance, flotation therapy, I think is a really good place to start because if, as Dr. Dan always says, if you can't handle yourself in a float tank for an hour, you're not going to be able to handle yourself in a psychedelic state, which I think is interesting and true. So, I mean, something like flotation therapy, nature therapy, maybe short meditations, breath work, you know, guiding people through breath work can be really helpful. And there's other things like sound healing, art therapy, music therapy. And again, you would get to know the person so you are finding activities that best fit with them. 
and things that maybe they're already doing. I mean, you can talk to them and identify what are hobbies they already do or what are things they used to do that they really love. Maybe they used to play piano and they haven't for a while and you can have them pick that up again because it feels like it's it's my process. It's their process when they're doing this and they're engaging in things that they're passionate about. But what you're doing is you're using activities to quiet the mind and steal the body so that the true self has an opportunity to come forward. Because that's what's happening in the psychedelic experience is that the true self is going to start to emerge when the ego quiets down, when all those extraneous voices and all that static electricity, everything that's around a person that prevents them from tapping into their true self, that's going to quiet down. The true self is going to emerge. That's a difficult experience for people, believe it or not. Because when the true self emerges, the truth starts to come. The raw emotion starts to come. The self-reflection starts to come. The pain and discomfort, the fear, everything starts to come with it. So those activities leading up to the experience are very powerful because you're training the brain and you're training the body how to relax into that raw present moment experience. And there's a lot of different activities that a person could use. It just depends on who they are. And if you're a trained therapist and a coach and you have different tools in your toolbox, that's great. Some people are using guided imagery. Some people are using guided meditation. Some people are using breath work. Some people are using body work. If you're working in person with your clients, I would say there's a lot of tools as long as it fits a client where they're at in that moment. I imagine that it's a different duration for different clients and different people have different needs. But on average, about how long do you need to take in preparing for a psychedelic experience, particularly if it's your first time? Well, I would say we have prepared people anywhere from, you know, two hours to two days to two weeks to two months in advance. It For us as the professionals, it just depends how quickly they come to us. I mean, we have people that come and say, I'm about to do a bufo ceremony in two hours. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know, we'll do the best we can. Or sometimes people will come way in advance and they'll say, you know, I would like to do an experience down the road. I don't know which one I'm going to do. And sometimes you have several weeks or months to prepare someone. In terms of what I would recommend, it depends on what the experience is, but I would say at least a week minimum, if not 30 days minimum, but it depends on the experience. If someone is stepping into ayahuasca or iboga, I would say you want to prepare closer to the two-month period, at least a month. If someone is going to do their backyard psilocybin or LSD journey with some friends, maybe a week is fine. The longer the preparation, I would say the more a person will get out of it, as long as you're not building too many expectations around the experience. And you're going to reduce the risks as well when you prepare. But it's a very subjective question. It will be very different for different people. Each person has their own amount of training in terms of transformational work and their ability to relax their nervous system and the different medicines they're using. Now, if it's somebody that's having a lot of symptoms and they're really struggling, you're going to want to prepare for an experience more. You know, for instance, relaxing the nervous system. You want to know how to do that before you go into an experience because if you don't know how to do that in your sober default state, it's going to be a difficult 
potentially it could be a difficult journey, you know, going into the experience if you don't have tools. And it's not just a matter of learning tools overnight. It's a matter of integrating those tools into your life before you go into the experience. So you have a lot of practice, like using those tools. I've had a lot of veterans, for instance, tell me one of the retreats I was working with was doing a lot of breath work with the guys before they went in. And many of them told me afterward, I would not have been able to get through that experience like I did, taking as much from it, trusting in the experience as much as I did, had I not learned those breath techniques. So that's just one example. And they were learning the breath techniques a week in advance and practicing them, you know, seven days in a row. So you have to actually practice the tools before, because once you're in the experience, if you haven't been practicing them, you won't use them. I love that we're spending so much of this interview talking about preparation because I think it's kind of analogous to how we might approach the psychedelic experience itself. You really want to give it time to um, prepare yourself and to have the most tools available when you're in the experience. I think a lot of people look at psychedelic medicine and psychedelic healing as something that the medicine will do the work. It'll just kind of take you on a ride and then on the other side you you need to figure out how to bring it into your life. But it's a much more sophisticated approach to say, you know, prepare everything so you have the tools available because you'll actually be doing the work in accordance with the medicine. Like the medicine will help remove certain things, release certain things, but then you'll have to work with what's there. And so I just, I really appreciate uh, the f- sophistication with which you approach all of this and and what we've just discussed about preparation. So, so let's talk about then integration. I've spent a lot of time in psychedelic circles and this word is used constantly. And I think a lot of folks don't even necessarily know what it actually means. The sort of common parlance is essentially like you have a psychedelic experience and you need to then integrate it into your life, which means change your life for the better in response to the psychedelic experience. And what I often hear is like, okay, that means start a meditation practice or that means, you know, kind of clean up some aspects of your life. But I imagine that with the amount of work that you've done with integration, you probably have a much more detailed, a deeper idea of what an integration process actually is. So I, I think maybe it's helpful just to define in the context of psychedelics and other peak experiences, what exactly is integration? Well, I mean, integration is the period immediately following a transformational experience, such as an entheogenic experience. So integration, I would say by definition, is that window of opportunity after you have an epic or transformational experience or even a very difficult and challenging experience, there is usually a window of opportunity to integrate the changes into your life for lasting results. So you have an experience, like you were saying earlier, sometimes you're in a psychedelic experience and you think, oh my gosh, I finally get it. I'm never going back to those ways. I'm changed forever. And then a month later, you realize like, wow, I really lost all of that. So there's a lot of gifts and blessings and insights and just magic and miraculous healing, really, that happens right inside the psychedelic experience. Sometimes psychedelic experiences just work so well <laughs> that people just assume that they have changed and there's there's no need to do any work afterward. So integration is that period following a medicine experience where you allow yourself to stay in the experience. You're consciously choosing to extend the medicinal experience into your life 
by maybe several hours and then several days and then several weeks. So there's different periods of integration, maybe right after the experience rather than jumping up and going and watching a movie or running home and um, picking up a drink of alcohol, right? You're just going to stop that experience immediately. So you're allowing yourself to stay in that experience. Maybe you're sitting in nature. Maybe you're staying alone in your room with a journal. Maybe you're opening up to a community and everybody is sharing their experiences. But you are staying in that experience and keeping your body still and keeping your mind quiet. So again, the true self can continue to come forward and speak to you and the body in the deep psyche or in the microscopic body, it can continue to do its work. You're not flooding your mind with thoughts and stimulus. You're not flooding your body with a bunch of foods that's going to busy up your organs. You're allowing yourself to stay clear and clean and pure to stay in the work, right? So that's just immediately after. And a lot of people will refer to it as an introspective stage where you're continuing to introspect on the experience. And then in the coming months or in the coming days, you're finding integrative activities to continue to introspect and to process what it is that came up for you in that experience and maybe starting to chart that experience. There's a lot of different tools. So we could talk about that in a minute of how somebody would hold on to that experience and integrate it into their life. But just to sum up the question of what is integration, well, it's that period right after a medicine experience where you stay in maybe solitude or you stay in an integration uh, community where you continue to introspect and contemplate what came up for you. And then you'll start to process what were those insights that you have in terms of maybe what changes you need to make, and then how does that translate into real life? So if I have an insight, what does that mean for me? What kind of change, what kind of commitment, what kind of new habits or rituals will I need to bring into my life to create lasting changes? So on the one hand, integration is introspection. On the other hand, it is implementation. And I would go as far to say is it's it's cultivation. Integration becomes cultivation, which becomes transformation. So for me, integration would be like the small changes, the small refinements that you're making right after an experience directly related to the insights or the goals or the changes that you want to make. And then eventually that integration just becomes cultivation, mm -hmm. which is just our general spiritual practice on a daily basis of self-improvement, self-awareness, being more present, opening our heart, purifying our body. It's an ongoing process of cultivation. The integration process is the, is the period immediately following a transformational experience. For many folks who are in a self-guided psychedelic transformation journey, perhaps sitting in ceremonies, what sometimes is the case is that folks will be so attracted to the psychedelic experience itself, and they'll want to keep having more and more experiences and without having the actual period of time to integrate them. I'm curious, how would 
both a therapist or someone who's looking at their own healing work, how would they best understand when it's time to return to medicine and and how multiple experiences of psychedelic healing can be part of the cultivation process over time instead of trying to jump from peak to peak without actually integrating the work you've done? How do How do we navigate that? Well, I mean, that is a really good question. And to be honest, I mean, in general, we leave it as coaches, we leave it to the facilitators and to the administrators to help clients decide these things. But it is something that's going to come up with your therapy clients or with your coaching clients, that they want to keep jumping into the medicine. And in fact, sometimes the psychedelic community themselves, the best tools they have are psychedelic medicines. And so often when somebody feels in a frenzy, they feel like they're in a traumatized state, or they feel like they had a difficult experience, they'll just be sent back to the medicine again and again. And, you know, maybe that's the right thing. So I just want to preface this by saying when it comes to when people should do the medicine and what medicines they should do, I do think it's a personal decision that an individual needs to make for themselves. And I also think it's something that people should be talking to their doctors, facilitators, and administrators about. In our coaching role, we can help clients to become well-informed and make those decisions. So I can speak from that perspective. But certainly as coaches, and I would say even as therapists, you don't want to be telling a person um, to go back and do the medicine. But you can ask them some thought-provoking questions that can help them identify when it might be useful for them to do so. We have to keep in mind that these experiences have particular cautions and risks around them and also contraindications around them. And they're just really big experiences. So, I mean, there's a lot of different questions, I suppose. Has the person successfully integrated their first experience? Are they feeling grounded in their body? Can they articulate what they got from that experience, how they were able to integrate that experience, and their intentions for going back to the experience? Um, next, what are they going back to the experience for? Is it because they have already done their work and they're ready to take on more? Or is it because they are, don't want to do their work and they actually are trying to outsource their work and have a psychedelic come in and fix them? So that's probably one of the main ways that I would help a client discern is what is your intention for going back in? Because the psychedelic experience will show you areas to work on and will potentially show you what it feels like when your heart is open, when your ego is at rest, when you're being true to yourself, when you are engaged directly with your own true north and with your value system. And so you you get that feeling, but then you have to go back and create it yourself. So if somebody is going back because they want the euphoric experience again, I would say, you know, maybe that's I mean, I don't want to say it's like the wrong reason or anything, but why are they going back? You know, are we going back to get high? Are we going back to feel good? Are we going back because I'm in pain and I don't want to engage in my pain? Because that happens a lot too. I mean, people are using microdosing and they are using psychedelics because they want to feel that peak euphoria. They want to feel that peak experience, but they're not actually figuring out how to create it on their own. But if a person has done their work that they took from the first medicinal experience, and then they're like, you know, I'm ready to embark upon a deeper part of my journey. I'm ready to see more truths. I'm ready to go a little bit further. You know, then that 
that could be a reason to go back in. I would say, though, it's really important that the individual make that decision for themselves. As coaches, I definitely would never say, well, I think that you should go back in and do more medicine. The person themselves would have to say that. You know, I want to, I want to have additional experiences. So you're just asking them um, questions. What do they want to get out of it? What's driving them back? And I think from there, you can discern whether the intentions are genuine, like I really want to go deeper in my work and I am integrating it, or whether the intentions are for an escape or numbing or to to feel good and, and not following through with one's own work. So in my personal psychedelic healing, my experience of integration is as follows. I always journal because I, I, I don't want to lose anything. I want to I take some time to write. And then I try, to, I try to have an experience where I have less TV, less bad food, and try to you know, bring in more dedication to practices I already do, like yoga and meditation. And I find that for me, I'm more able to do those practices that are ongoing. So I think that's a bit like what you're talking about in terms of cultivation. So that's how I've thought about integration myself, but I don't think that I've really looked at it as a more sort of sophisticated, longer-term experience. It's more just like be healthier for as long as I can after the experience. And so with that in mind, I'm curious how one should approach the tools of integration and how what tools are especially helpful in terms of sustaining that longer integration period. Well, there's different tools you can use with yourself, there's tools you can use with other people, and there's tools you can use with your professional integration specialist. When we're talking about tools with yourself, I think journaling is an excellent way to track what's going on. Again, that can start beforehand. Why am I going into the experience? What do I want to get out of it? So that you have some kind of continuation that you're mapping. There's different charts that people use, and there's a lot of different things you can chart, which I can talk about. Sometimes you could use a life balance wheel, so you can look at things holistically. Usually people are going to be more in one area than another. So sometimes people are going to be more in their head than their body. Sometimes people are more in their body than their head. Sometimes people are more in a social awareness than they are a self or intrapersonal awareness. And sometimes people are just more in their spirit than they are grounded in their actual human experience here on earth, right? So it can help to use some kind of holistic wheel. One of the tools I created years ago was an integration wheel, and I put it into eight different sectors, and I just called it the integration wheel. Anybody can make it. And with these eight different sectors, when somebody comes out, they could write in or even color in, maybe if they're an artist, the eight most salient things that they took from their experience to help hold on to it. Even if you don't quite understand it in the moment, it's like a dream, right? We have all this symbology that came up. We have these memories. We have things that are really standing out, but we don't quite know why. So you could use the integration wheel to write out what are the eight most salient things that you took from the experience. And you could even turn that into a holistic wheel. So looking at it from mind, body, spirit, relationship, life, occupation, environment, things like this, and then continue to reflect back on that wheel to draw parallels and and information from it. Other tools that you could use by yourself would be Well, there's just a lot of trackers. So I would say something you could use with uh, your 
integration coach or your integration therapist could be things like tracking mood, tracking traits, tracking energy, ease and efficiency or productivity in doing things. You could track habits and patterns. You could track focus and ability to concentrate. You could track your own goals and different milestones that you had set out for yourself. And you could even track the potential hardships and challenges that come up. Because keeping in mind when you're in a process of change and transformation and cultivation, things are typically difficult. So sometimes when things are just really easy and really going well, you know, that could also mean somebody's evading their work. So sometimes you're tracking the daily challenges and the conflicts that are coming up and how you're working through them. And it's a sign that, hey, I am bringing my stuff up. I am doing my work because I am engaging with that stuff underneath. And you can turn these things into charts, whether it's just a paper pencil chart. There's a lot of applications that people are using these days to track mood and productivity and energy levels and things like this. And then there are different technologies such as biofeedback, you know, heart math, where somebody can track their biometrics. So those are some things that you could do with your therapist. You know, you could also ask for feedback too. I mean, it can be helpful before you go in the experience to sit down with maybe three people. Maybe it's a loved one, a professional or mentor, maybe a friend that knows you really well. And you could talk with them about why you're doing these psychedelic therapies, what you want to get out of it. And you could go back to them once a month afterward and have a sit down with them and get their experience of you especially loved ones can tend to be very honest, <laughs> right? Sometimes friends will be, but with loved ones, sometimes they're brutally honest. And so when you're picking who those three people are, think about who will just be really honest. And you can go back for feedback once a month. You know, you're really creating an accountability partner and that can keep you integrating for the long run as well by talking to them about, let's say, your three goals, the three things that you're working on, and then ask them, you know, I'm curious, how have you experienced me as I started doing these psychedelic medicines? Have I been more patient? Have I been more kind? Have I been more reliable? Have I had more integrity with what I'm doing? And that way you're getting feedback from other people, not just your own self-reporting or your own biometrics, which can actually report quite a lot, honestly, but you're also engaging with other people, which is really nice when you have that kind of accountability because they're going to be more patient with you when they see that you're doing this experience. And they're also going to be more supportive because they're going to see, wow, this person isn't just doing a bunch of psychedelic medicines. They're really engaging their healing process and their transformational process. And they have a, a point to all of this. And that way you're going to get more support from your external community because you're telling them what you're doing, right? There's a lot of times people are engaging in psychedelics and the outside world's like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? And they think you've just gone off your rocker. But when you explain to them what you're doing and why you're doing and include their feedback and their accountability and their observations of you in the process, that can be really helpful in long-term integration. And then I'll just add real quick, Eamon, the most important thing would be the cultivation practice. What is that long-term transformational or 
spiritual practice that a person is engaging on a daily basis. I mean, that's the best way to stay in a process of integration is to have that meditation practice, that yoga practice, that uh, nutritional practice, whether it's a series of, of juicing, some kind of dieta that you're engaging with, but personal sustained commitments over a period of time, and then being able to drop back in with those original intentions, goals, and milestones through journaling, charting, feedback, talking to others, working with a coach, <laughs> working with a counselor. These are all great ways to stay in that process. I love the cultivation mentality. And mm -hmm. for me personally, I love the morning ritual as mm -hmm. a place to kind of put a lot of those pieces all together. And I'll just share what's worked for me in this is um, building a morning ritual over time because it's hard to jump right into a, a really robust collection of habits. But to have a sort of anchoring thing that I do each morning and then over time I've been able to add to it. And in my own psychedelic healing journey, it's actually the morning routine has grown with it. And so now I have meditation, movement, journaling, sometimes other practices like breath work, but I, I have that every morning. And I would, I would say that that morning ritual has definitely eclipsed my psychedelic medicine work in terms of what it is giving to my life. The benefits that I get from that everyday ritual and making that sacred has actually, is actually more impactful for me than psychedelics. Yeah, and if people are integrating a good rule of thumb, if you know they're doing well in integration, they will say that integration is the most important. <laughs> and then you can tell that they're that they understand and that they are actually integrating because they will say that. They will say, I've had really profound, amazing experiences, or I had, you know, really simple and disappointing experiences. <laughs> Either way, but the integration for me was the most important. And then you know that person is engaging their integration and they really understand that. So I want to talk a bit about integration coaching. So in the current landscape of psychedelic medicine, there are very few opportunities in the U.S. that are above-ground psychedelic therapy. There's now ketamine therapy. There's the potential of doing breakthrough treatment, designated breakthrough treatment of MDMA, and there's some religious exemptions. So there's a lot of gray market, underground kind of practitioner therapies happening and also self-guided experiences. So there's a lot of psychedelic work being done, but the containers are, are pretty varied in terms of the experiences that people are having. And so you do this Being True to You coach certification program. And I'm curious about where these coaches are, are intersecting with clients. Are they typically pairing with a therapist and they're working in that model? Are they working with people who've had experiences abroad and coming back? How are these coaches kind of engaging their services and in integration with the broader uh, community? So how are integration coaches working with clients? Yeah. How are people finding these coaches? Is it typically that they're pairing with therapists themselves? How are these coaches kind of working in the world? Well, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that people can integrate. So I'll just start there. I mean, when you're integrating, you can work with yourself, you can work with families, you can work with friends, you can work with a mentor, you can work with a coach, you can work with a therapist. Either way, it's important if you're going to be doing psychedelic therapies, in my opinion, in my, in my experience, to be setting up your integration with somebody. It's best to be working with an integration specialist that's outside of your a network that you're emotionally connected to. But still, I just want to make that known, that you can integrate with yourself, you can integrate with your family, with your friends, and in fact, talking to people before you go into this experience and telling them about what you're doing, like I said, is really going to support you afterward 
it's very hard after the experience to tell people, so I went into this experience because they're going to be just shocked and, and tripping out that you even did that experience. So it's hard for them to actually hear what you need now. If you've told them up front, you're going to have a lot of support. So when it comes to integration, there's a lot of ways to set up support and you can use different kinds of people. Now, there is a growing field with the emergence of psychedelic therapies of integration specialists. Right now, it's not anything that's regulated by legislature, so it's not like there are people who are designated to do this outside of the clinical trials, right? With clinical trials and with MAPS-trained therapists and CIIS-trained therapists, certainly they're laying the foundation to have licensed professionals who are doing this work. When it comes to coaching, coaching is really exciting because coaching is an industry of humans helping humans and coaches can sort of specialize in anything they want. Coaches can specialize in relationship coaching and communication coaching and business coaching and life coaching and recovery coaching and transformational coaching. So coaching is this industry where anybody can essentially become a coach. Um, I have been surprised at how many professionals are becoming coaches. Most of the people, I would say at least 50% of the people that train with us are professionals already, whether doctor level or master's level or approaching master's level therapists that also want to understand coaching or people who have just worked in the psychedelic integration space for a long time, they've just never actually been certified, are now coming aboard as coaches. So with the way that it works, I guess, is individuals just hear about coaches and they will call in to an organization like Being True To You. And now other organizations are starting to think about coaching as well. So individuals will call in and, and set up with a coach. As far as the coaches, I guess I'll just get clear on, on your question again, Eamon, in terms of how the coaches are paired with clients or? My curiosity is really just around the proliferation of integrative coaching in the psychedelic community generally, because we're kind of, psychedelic medicine is sort of lurching forward in different ways with different medicines. And I only recently personally learned about integration coaching as, as a thing only within my work with Maya. Prior to that, I'd had many psychedelic experiences and I'd never even thought of like an integration coach. And so my question was like, are integration coaches people that are typically met through a psychedelic therapy experience and then they're working with a coach in addition? Or do people actually have their own psychedelic experiences and then actually work with a coach to integrate that? Okay, I understand. Well, you know, sometimes clients are going to work with a therapist and a coach and sometimes just a coach or sometimes just a therapist. That's just up to the client and professionals can certainly help guide someone around that. In general, integration coach is only going to work with someone before and after and not during. So there's different kinds of integration specialists. There are the facilitators and the guides and the administrators that are actually providing the medicine and, and holding that space for a person when they're undergoing medicine work. And then you have, let's say, psychedelic psychotherapists who may not be administering it, may or may not be administering it, but they're sitting there actually engaging the conversation, holding space, and conducting therapy to whatever degree is possible during the psychedelic experience. And then you have people like sitters who are just holding space and tending to people. You're not necessarily engaging the deep conversation and doing therapy with them, but you're you know, 
um, holding space, getting them a glass of water, helping them to the bathroom, just ensuring them that they're safe and that they're okay. When it comes to integration coaching, this is more of a before and after thing. So this is the longer process. Coaches are working with people for several weeks, several months around the experience or experiences, and they're going to engage the greater arc of transformation and there's a lot of things that integration coaches can do if you want to go into that, but you're not conducting psychotherapy, you're just providing coaching, and again, it's a before and after thing. Now, sometimes people are going to work with a therapist as well, or sometimes the therapist is also a coach. So sometimes you're just working with your therapist slash coach, sometimes you're working with your coach and your therapist, and sometimes you're working with just a coach or therapist. I mean, it really just depends what a person has going on and how much they're trying to heal at any one time and just how much space they have in their life to work with different professionals. I want to talk a little bit about the specific coach certification program that you run. And I really enjoyed learning that there's a kind of pod training experience where um, the coaches themselves are actually learning about themselves and each other through the process. And I thought that that was a really powerful piece to it, because I think that the best coaches and the best healers are those who are engaging with their own work. So I loved that aspect of, of the program. And I'm curious if you could speak a little bit to that and to the program itself. Yeah, I would love to. And thanks so much for asking. So my organization is Being True to You. We started in 2010. As I mentioned, we started by helping people through the ibogaine experience, through addiction. So it was really heavy work right from the get-go. And then we started helping people integrate around iboga experiences, ayahuasca experiences. So we were in the trenches from the very beginning with some heavy medicines and very deep, profound transformations and transformations that required sustained integration work. It, when you're trying to overcome opiate addiction and chronic depression and chronic pain, I mean, this is not work that's going to necessarily happen overnight. It takes some time. So I, I'm a trained counselor by trade. Um, I left the counseling field, started coaching, and I got really busy really quickly. I started bringing in my counselor friends and they said, we need a training program. And I thought, well, you guys are counselors. You don't need a training program. And they said, we do. We don't know what to do. You're doing really well. I thought, I don't know what it is that I'm doing really well. So seven years ago in 2013, I wrote the first coach training program and realized, wow, I have this talent to write curriculum. I actually have a couple of my books right here so I can show you. Now, seven years later, we have three books, part one, part two, and part three. It's over 800 pages now of textbook. Um, I do the program with Dr. Dan Engel, and it's a 30-level program over the course of five months. There's a lot of features to it. We have, a, we have 12 people now running the training. We have senior coaches that are leading the experiential workshops. We have Dr. Dan and I who are doing the lectures. We have open integration sessions after every single talk so we can discuss them. We have options to partner coach with each other. And then we have a whole toolkit of all these documents and forms we give someone. So essentially, by the time you get your certification, you have a whole model sitting right in front of you that you can work with. So that's the logistical aspects of the training. 
It is a very comprehensive training. I have had PhD uh, graduates tell me, Deanne, I have never learned any of this information in 10 years. So basically what I've realized, what we have here is what is missing, I would say, across all the industries that are intersecting from psychedelic therapies to the mental health, to psychiatric health, to even holistic healing, all of the alternative practices that people are bringing into the integration work, where all those industries intersect. The thing that's missing is, is how do I just talk with someone, right? I don't, I've got my tools. I know how to diagnose them. I've got my treatments, but how do I just sit with another human being and conversate with them about emotional stuff, about heavy stuff and hold space for them in an unbiased, neutral way so that an individual can have their own space to do their own work without bias. And I just want to say a note on that because a lot of people who are going to psychedelic medicines are going because they need space to work their own stuff out for themselves. They don't feel like they can talk to people about some of the stuff that's going on, whether it's secret stuff, whether it's trauma stuff, whether it's paranormal stuff, whether it's supernatural stuff, whether it's political stuff, whether it's controversial stuff. There's just a lot of stuff that people can't find a safe place to process all of that. Like veterans, for instance, think about all the stuff that they're trying to process. And so they go to psychedelic medicines because it's a container where I can go within my own mind, I can process my, my own stuff, I don't have to hide anything, I don't have to hold back. And then they come out and they need to integrate this. So what we are teaching within Being True to You among many things, is how do we maintain the integrity of neutrality and non-bias that the medicine provides? Because what I notice is that there is a lot of indoctrination in this world, and that's something that people are struggling with. The indoctrination starts from the day that we're born, and it continues throughout our whole life. And every different sector thinks, I'm the one that knows the truth. I'm the one that's pulling people out of this indoctrination, but really we're just pulling people into a different form of indoctrination. So the training is, is really about how do we help people be true to themselves? How can we hold that, that space for a person to be exactly who they are, whatever paradigm they're coming from, whether it's a religious paradigm or a non-religious paradigm, a conservative paradigm or a liberal paradigm, whatever paradigm they're coming from, they get to be who they are, and the professionals are not laying their paradigm on top. They're not laying their worldview on top of the client saying, I'm going to help this client awaken. I'm going to help this client understand what reality is or what the human experience is, or how to interpret their psychedelic experience. Yes, sometimes we're helping them to interpret and make sense of what they're doing, but we're not explaining these things for them. And believe it or not, even the top professionals are still doing this, um, assuming and taking their own worldview as the truth and imposing it into the client's experience. So what the Being True to You training is very unique. It's very comprehensive. We're going to go through tools, skillfulness, how to communicate, 
ethics and how do we hold space for somebody that protects their well-being? What are different models and methods and approaches? What are the do's and don'ts? What is the support role? Um, how do we become well-informed about, again, all these intersecting industries of transformational work, altered states, alternative remedies, holistic healing, and psychedelic therapies, but most importantly, how can we hold a container for people, especially in today's day where there is so much division for a person to be exactly who they are and for them to process things from exactly where they are and not in the back of our mind having some kind of agenda of I'm trying to help them see X, Y, Z. No. We're not trying to bring them into our own worldview, and we're not using it as a place for advocacy. And this is another important thing that's happening in the psychedelic community, where people are using psychedelics to advocate their own personal missions and agendas. And I, I'm very sensitive about this. So within being true to you, you're learning how to let go of your agenda, how to let go of your notions, how to let go of your own advocacy projects and just be with the client and let them be exactly as they are as they work through their own stuff and they come to their own conclusions. Because again, this is why people are going to the medicines is because they want to conduct their own therapeutic work within a non-biased environment where they can show all parts of themselves. And this is something that we're understanding in the therapeutic industry now is that people have many parts. And guess what? They only show the part that they feel accepted to show. In the medicine, you can show all parts of yourself. That's why people like to go into the medicinal experiences because I get to show Mother Ayahuasca all parts of myself without judgment. But then when people get into the interpersonal realm of support with other counselors and members and coaches, all those parts go hide. <laughs> and now I'm only going to show the part that I feel is acceptable and people are going to welcome and work with and all those other parts went back in the closet. So with being true to you coaching, it is really unique because we're saying how can we hold space for all these different parts, which is not easy to do because you have to yourself go into all these sensitive areas, all these controversial areas, and you have to temper yourself. When someone says that trigger word and you want to fight back or you want to impose a particular way of thinking, you have to just let it go. Whatever it is that comes up and you have to accept all parts of that client. And I tell you, it is deep, profound work. So when people come to the Being True to You coach training, they initially are like, I want to learn about psychedelic integration. And that's, that's all they want to know. Like, I don't want to learn about addiction. I don't want to learn about this. I don't want to learn about that. And I say, you know, just trust us. Go through this experience. And um, people go through the experience, and it's life transforming for professionals. And I'll just say one last thing on that. I mean, I, I was a counselor. I was trained through graduate school, and I came out of it, and I looked back, and I thought, gosh, never once did they talk about my own work. They said you should work with a counselor, but that's as far as it went. Every counselor needs to work with a counselor. I remember that hearing that many times, but as far as like looking within and doing my own work and, and identifying my biases and my notions and my paradigm and being able to set that aside so I could work with others and, and, and staying in my own process of transformation, that really wasn't 
pushed in the training. So the being true to you training is deeply transforming for professionals to get to a space where we can truly hold space for the journey of the true self for individuals, which I think is just crucial at the time that we're facing right now. Wow, Deanne, that is so refreshing and so I, it makes me want to do the training. <laughs> I'm, I don't work. I don't work in this field at all. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a community leader and a uh, and a podcaster. But I I want to do the training now. It seems like there's so much wealth to be explored there beyond even psychedelic support. I love just the completely clearing out the agendas and the biases, um, and and that point of like letting that client show all of themselves. I love it. I think it's such a powerful thing that you're offering. And it makes me really grateful to have you on the show and and be able to talk about this and inspire people. Um, how I like to end the show, as we're kind of coming close to our, our closing time, is just to give you an opportunity to speak directly to people in the psychedelic healing uh, community who may be listening to the show. If you have any, I know you've given us so much kind of advice and perspective during this this particular conversation, but if you could be, speak directly to um, psychedelic practitioners, what would you like to say? Well, I mean, really what I just said is I think probably one of the most important things, but psychedelic therapies are really exciting. They do have the power to change a person's life overnight and they have the power to change society overnight. But I would say the biggest thing that I notice is similar to what I just said in that let's create that space for the psychedelic medicines and the individuals to have a truly fresh encounter with each other. Let's allow each other to sit with Mother Nature and to sit with these medicines and to have our own unique experiences in our own way. I think it's important that we're not mixing advocacy with therapy. If you want to be an advocate for psychedelics, great, you know, go put on that hat at times. But when you are in the seat of a coach or you're in the seat of a therapist, it's not advocacy. So I feel that people should have the autonomy to pick their own experiences, to choose when they do them and how they do them, and to have that like fresh neutral container to do integration and have therapists and coaches that are able to sit with them and be in their experience, but not imposing our own thoughts upon how it all should be done, unless it's just more of a logistical, you know, safety thing. I think it's really important that we learn about psychedelic therapies on a general context. There's a lot of different medicines. So becoming well-informed about these medicines, becoming well-informed about altered states, um, becoming well-informed about the cautions and the risks and the potential outcomes. There's a lot that can become of it. Being careful what you step into and not taking on more than you could handle. You have to understand that when people go into these experiences that they could bring up a lot of deep stuff, whether it's from their childhood, whether it's from their ancestry, whether it's from their past lives, whether it's from just their their family experiences. And so I see a lot of people just getting in over their head, but pretending as if they can handle it. So I think it's important to share with clients what your specialization is and what your scope of training is and how you can help a person, but also recognizing when you have reached that edge and you can't help a person beyond that. And then you can make referrals to somebody else. 
as a integration specialist, in addition to your own training and becoming well-informed about all these psychedelic medicines and the transformational work and altered states and bringing the unconscious to the conscious and all the different integration tools, in addition to the training, in addition to becoming well-informed, it's also a process of personal work and transformation. As a professional, we never want to get too comfortable in, I'm the professional, I'm the expert, I know everything. No, it's humans helping humans. And so it's important that we are very humble in our own experience and we continue to do the work, but we keep our work separate from coaching or providing therapy to the clients. So when our work comes up and we, we notice something, because of course our clients are going to mirror our own stuff, we take a note of it in session. We say, oh, wow, that really moved me. That really triggered me or that really excited me. That made me feel really passionate about something. We just bookmark it and we put it to the side and we don't let our own stuff come into the coaching session and we continue to do our own work. Like I said, we're putting aside our own agendas and our advocacy. That doesn't mean you can't have those projects and missions. It just means you're separating them from the integration work with the client. You're continuing to learn new tools, but don't feel like you need to learn every tool and every method. Every coach has or counselor has their own process and their own approach. And I think that is good when people get too many certifications and learn too many methods, I think it can just kind of scramble your practice. I feel like it's better as a integration therapist and coach when you just hone a particular practice or method versus trying to learn everything. I will tell you, I have not noticed a benefit from the people who come into our training who have 10 certifications versus the one that has one certification. So sometimes I think that feeling of inadequacy or that just that desire to be amazing as a professional, you just keep getting more and more certifications, but it can actually scramble things and make it harder to just integrate your own work. So finding a method that resonates with you. And then also identifying what is your niche and working with clients within your niche. You don't have to just work with anyone. You can specialize in a particular area and then work with clients within that area. And then I would say lastly, to find a community for ongoing mentoring. That's something that we provide, which I would say is probably the crux of our community is not just the training, but it's the ongoing accountability and mentoring because there's a lot of difficult cases that come up. And I find that sometimes professionals feel that they should know what to do. So they don't want to ask, you know, some of our new students are the best because they'll come in and they'll just ask so many questions because they're so eager to keep learning. And um, I think our whole team has figured that out. So that ongoing accountability and mentoring and training can be really helpful so that you can process these cases anonymously together. The most important thing I would say is just to be that clear channel for clients to work with. You know, be that clear, compassionate, heart-centered coach that truly supports and accepts people without judgment and can allow them to do the work, whatever work they want to work on from wherever they are in a non-biased way. So gosh, there's just so many things, Eamon, I could say. So I hope that helps there at the end. 
Super helpful. Clearly, there's so much, such a wealth of wisdom that you have on all these topics. I feel like we just need to do another interview at some point in the future so we can go even a little bit deeper. But for now, for the listener who is inspired and wants to go deeper, where can they find you and your personal work to follow you, the work you're doing? How can they connect to uh, being true to you? Um, what's going on right now with the organization, with yourself that we can track who are interested in your work? Yeah, the main place to go is to beingtrueto.com. You can submit an inquiry, an email, and based on what you say, we'll have somebody call you that may be most relevant. Um, We do offer the training year-round, but we have our biannual trainings that start fall and spring. Gosh, we sold out this fall, which is great, but we have figured it out to be able to take more people in. So I have realized there just isn't a training like this worldwide. We have something very unique here. So we are expanding to figure out how to continue to train more people. So yeah, go to beingtrueto.com. We have a Facebook page, Being True to You, a public page that you can check out, an Instagram page that you can check out. And any way that you you know want to collaborate, any questions you have, I or the team is happy to chat with you about these things. Brilliant. Well, Deanne, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your wisdom, and for the amazing work that you're doing with Being True to You. Um, it's really inspiring work, and I really appreciate your time. Eamon, thank you so much. Thank you for hosting these podcasts and getting this information out. There is a lot of amazing professionals out there that are doing this work. And I think the best way that we can bring the whole industry together and help usher, you know, psychedelic therapies into our culture in a responsible, ethical, productive, and just efficient and respectful way is to work together and to hear the voices of different people to get out here in public. It is hard sometimes to get out on podcasts and to talk about what we're going through, but that's how we we stay together. That's how we hold each other accountable. That's how we unite as an industry in this work. So thank you so much for creating this space for all of us. I really appreciate it. And it was a pleasure being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please join the Psychedelic Therapy Facebook group to talk about it. You can also share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes so more people can discover the show. The Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is presented by Maya, a platform designed to help psychedelic therapists manage and measure client journeys. You can head to mayahealth.com to learn more. The show is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.